few years ago, I went out hiking um, with my brother and my sister-in-law. We went out to West Texas. Um, and there's a long story about that journey. Um, but one of what ended up is we ran into a park ranger at the National Park who said, you can't go this way. There's been a mountain lion attack. And this happens whenever uh, mountain lions get older. It's really the only time they ever um, attack anyone is when their vision gets so poor that they can't see in front of you. So, um, so we went down. They were saying, like, we're going to send the dogs up, which seemed like something to listen to. We don't want to face the dogs. And so we go down a different way. Um, and end up, it's like something happens after something happens. We run out of water. We run out of food. It's <laughs> like... This long journey across the, across the desert. Um, end up, I finally find our water cache. It's behind a cactus, and so I like fall on a cactus and I'm, like laying and rock joyously on a cactus because I found water. Um, but we end up, so we find the water, we get get to the road, and then we we're stuck in a road, and so we're in the middle of Big Bend. There's not like cell reception um, <laughs> anywhere. It's one of those side roads that no one shows up. And it's like, okay, like we went all this far. We went so far, we all, and we're just stuck on this road. We don't have enough water to walk back. Um, there's no one coming. Uh, but so we, so we wait there, so we wait there, we wait there. Eventually, a truck does show up. It's an herpetologist, <laughs> who is someone who studies lizards. <laughs> he was out there doing a lizard count. And it was a quirky, if you've ever met an herpetologist, they are unique individuals. Um, they are memorable. People whose lives are dedicated to lizards. Um, but so he, but he, he helped us, he gave us a ride. And you know what he did for us that day is he saved us. Is that we were in danger. There was risk, there were stakes involved. There was no tourists were gonna come along that road. There wasn't gonna be anybody trying to see the lights. It was really, if he didn't come, I don't know what would have happened. We were saved that day by an herpetologist. <laughs> now, my friends, we are continuing our series on, on the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, one of the things that are often, the good news is often translated as, as evangelical or gospel. It just means, it means good news. It means like something, yay, that was good. Um, good news could be you heard a song that you liked before. Um, it's like, wow, that was really good. I never heard this little light of mine like that. Um, good news comes in a lot of different forms. Usually in the church, it's couched in a lot of language with a lot of assumptions and presumptions about it. The same thing goes with the word save and salvation. Usually when someone says, I'm saved, or I got saved, or um, Jesus saved me, there's a lot of like theological language, a lot of churchy stuff. It ha- depends on where you grew up. Maybe for someone who says, like, you know, here's that word, I was saved. They had a really hard experience as a child in a church and were put into bad situations. They knew the same kid who talked about how they were saved that same night went out late partying and lying and and being mean to people. Um, And how how does that fit together? But when we talk about good news, I think one of the hearts is, you know, I was going one way and then God saved me. God helped me. One of the theologians I really appreciate, his name is H. Richard Niebuhr, which is a lot of, lot of a name to go with. But one time he wrote that one of the problems with, with the church, and this is in the 1950s, so imagine what it's like today. One of the problems with the church is they, they worship a God without wrath, brought to people without sin, into a kingdom without judgment, through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. And that's a lot to unpack 
But basically, one of the challenges of good news for a lot of people is they think they're pretty well all right on their own. And life is going okay. You know, I, this God thing, it sounds good, but I've got it all figured out. I've got it all figured out. I can handle things myself. With this series on good news, we're not saying that there's one way to talk about God or one way to talk about how God loves us and protects us. There are many ways. Last week, we, we focused on how God comes before. God is the one who saved and called us with a holy calling. We looked at 2 Timothy 1, 9 through 10. Today, we're going to look at that Colossians passage. So again, I'm going to pass out cards to everybody um, so you can look at it with me. You can take this home. If this resonates with you, great. Um, but you don't, it doesn't have to. The point is not that you need one way of understanding God, but that God loves you in a lot of different ways. And hopefully one will connect with you and remind you that you are loved and remind you that you are saved. And not in a way that is shallow, not in a way that is, is fake, but in a way that is sincere to who you are. Good news means being saved from something. Saved is a transitive verb. And for English majors like myself, that's a big deal. If you haven't heard of transitive verbs in a long time, don't worry. <laughs> transitive verbs need something on the end. They, they assume something. They do something. There's going to be a preposition after it. You're saved from something. You're saved for something. Nobody is just saved full stop. That doesn't make any sense. But oftentimes we cut that off and we say, oh, I'm saved and that's fine. We don't remember the what. We don't remember the for. So in Colossians 1, Paul writes, once you were alienated from God, which is hard to hear. Once we were apart from God. Last week we talked about God's provenient grace, how God is always with us from before we were born. That's why we baptize children in the Methodist Church, is we want to offer grace. We believe that God is already with a beautiful child. And so we might as well offer them grace. We might as well offer them the power of the Holy Spirit and not withhold But this week, this passage from Colossians, Paul says, once you were alienated from God. And that is hard to say for some of us. But it's important to remember, even when we are alienated from God, God is not alienated from us. God is with us. Yet we must admit that there are times when we are set apart from God. Once we were alienated from God and you were enemies with him in your minds. To be an enemy of God is really to be in love with yourself. That is the way to be an enemy of God, to be so curved inward and focused on this is what I need, this is what I have, these are the things in my control. That I cannot see my neighbor, I cannot love my neighbor, I see my neighbor as a tool for my own benefit. But now, but now God has reconciled you. But now we have been reconciled been come together, reconciled by his physical body through death to present you before God as a people who are holy, faultless, and without blame. So this whole transformation happens in this passage from Colossians, that we start out by this acknowledgement that there is a separation that has happened, that I am not my own. In the words of the prayer of St. Francis, I am not my own, but yours. That is... um, That is a powerful and humbling thing to say, but that is not the end. We do not say that in a vacuum, but in the understanding that God is coming and will be there for us, will heal us. The passage from 
Luke 17, that lucky read, read, looks at the, Jesus going to Jerusalem. He's on his way. It's near the end of his ministry. Near the end of his ministry, and he comes to this village near Samaria, and he sees lepers, lepers who are set apart, lepers who are alienated from their community, lepers who are told, you cannot be a part of our community. You are unclean. Not only are you unclean, you cannot become clean. There is nothing here for you. And so they are living apart, and they cry out to Jesus. They don't run up to him, but they see him, and they they notice him, and they say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy on us. And Jesus as well notices them and says, go, go to the priest. Which in reality is an incredible act of faith. You know who the person was who put them in the leper colony, probably? The priests. So they have to go and confront the same person who told them they can't be a part of their hometown anymore. They can't go to their moms for dinner anymore. They can't see their cousins. They can't maybe not see their spouse anymore. They have been cut off. They have to go to that same person who told them, you are cut off. You cannot go here anymore. And seek to be clean. That's an incredible act of faith. So Jesus tells this to the people, and they all go. Usually in kind of like storybooks, it's like suddenly they're clean, but they're not. Um, as the parable, in this parable in Luke. They're not immediately cleaned. They're cleaned when they go to the priest. But one man comes back. Comes back and says, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. He drops himself to the feet and says, thank you. And Jesus asks, wait a minute. I think that's in the Greek. It says, wait a minute. Wait a minute. (laughs) Were there not ten who went? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except the Samaritan? Wait a minute. Then he says, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. The reason why healing miracles happen so often throughout the New Testament is because in every sickness there is a separation. No matter what the sickness is, there is a separation. Whenever we are sick, whenever we are injured, we are separated from who we think we can be, who we used to be. Whenever we get sick, when we break a foot, when we have an operation, when we get the cold, we have to separate ourselves from our habits and our bodies. We cannot act in the same way. We need a reconciliation, a way of coming together. And Jesus saw this and pointed this out. And for everybody who is sick physically, there are so many as well who are sick spiritually. That is our world today of people who are sick spiritually and alienated from each other. So often on the news is is words and, and language of alienation and people feeling alienated and grasping to ideologies, ideologies that are harmful and hurtful because they feel pushed out by society. They feel like they do not belong, that nobody understands them. This continually happens. This is not, 2019 is the, not the first year when this has happened. Throughout history, people have felt alienated, felt not apart, didn't know whether it was their fault or the other people's fault, how to come back together, how to come back together. In Luke 18, the next, the next chapter, um, Jesus tells another parable. He says there are two people who went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Neither of those are really good in Jesus' mind. Um, 
but, but just to be Pharisees were people who were super strict religiously, and tax collectors were crooks, basically. They just took money. Um, okay, so the Pharisee says, he stood and prayed. He stood and prayed about himself. That's a key word. If you're praying about yourself, you've got to watch what you're saying. Um, <laughs> God, I thank you that I'm not like everybody else. Those crooks and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I receive. But the tax collector stood at a distance. And he wouldn't even lift up his eyes toward heaven. Rather, he struck his chest and said, God, show mercy to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this person went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. Because all who lift themselves up will be brought low, and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. Good news is that we do not need to save ourselves. Good news is that we do not need to save this world. This world is already being saved. That is what the kingdom of God is about, is that God has already done the miracle. Death has been defeated. Once we were alienated from God. No matter how you have felt it in your life, there has been a time when you were apart, that you acted apart from God. My brothers and sisters, you have a chance of reconciliation, that God offers grace to you. God offers grace at the water of the baptism. If you were baptized as a child, it's an opportunity to remember your baptism, to remember that you are loved, not based on what you have done, not based on what's in your bank account, who your friends are, who your neighbors are, what kind of house you have, how much work you need to put into your house to get it back up to shape. That is not your value in this world. You are loved as a child of God. Once you were set apart, now you are drawn back together. Thanks be to God for that. Thanks be to God for that. My brothers and sisters, last week we mentioned with the good news about God is the one who saved and called us to holy calling. And it led into talking about our stewardship at the church. Talking about our pledges. That the reason why we give to the church is not as like dues or payments. It's out of the good news that God has offered to us. The reason why this church exists is because God has been present here. And people's lives have been changed. And there has been good news that have been preached and heard and practiced. And I think God is still moving in this place. A pledge is a commitment to God, a response to what God is doing. Many of you have received your cards in the mail. If you have not, I have more. And please feel free to take some if you like it. <laughs> but it's, I mean, the point is not the, the amount on the card. When Jesus talks to the Pharisee, the Pharisee is a great tither. He says, I give 10, 10% of mine away. That's, I mean, most churches would love to have a lot of church of Pharisees. Um, that's like the whole church tithe, but was wicked, you know? That's like, I don't want to put pastors into that situation where they have to choose. Um, but that is, that is not the point. It is like the tax collector. He doesn't, he's not giving at that point. He is realizing where he is. He realizes that he has been alienated from God because he has alienated himself from his brothers and sisters. Because he has alienated himself from the community by working for Rome. By stealing the money, by skimming off the top, he has alienated himself from God. He realizes that and seeks mercy. And you know who gives it? God. 
And we see that on the cross. Last week I, I read from Henry Nouwen, and I want to do that again. Um, Henry Nouwen, the, the great um, spiritual writer, again, wrote this amazing little book that was so, I didn't realize, um, called A Spirituality of Fundraising. Um, it's, it's a really interesting book. Um, so this is, last week we talked about, he mentions um, fundraising as a conversion, is asking for conversion. It's changing, it's a changing of your life when you give. He, he goes on, those of us who ask for money need to look carefully at ourselves. The question is not how to get money. The question is about our relationship with money. We will never be able to ask for money if we do not know how we ourselves relate to money. What is the place of money in our lives? The importance of money is so tied up with relationships that it seems impossible to think about it without also thinking about how our family life has influenced our relationship with money. How our community, how our work and our jobs, how our friends and what they do and the vacations they go on and, and the times they have. And for, for elementary school kids um, like ours and our families, like what summer camps they send their kids to, and all of these things, how those pressures, what are their afternoon activities, how those pressures impact us, and how we see and how we think. I think this gets, this gets to the heart of what, what Paul is saying in Colossians, what Jesus is saying in these parables, that we need to think about our relationships to the world, and how are you going to respond to God? Have we been reconciled? Have I been reconciled to God? Or am I still alienated in these few things? Am I still set apart by saying, God, I don't know about this. I don't know if I can let you into this part of my life. I think I need to keep a little control. I need to keep a little outpost of me time here. When all that is, is guarding myself from love. I'm guarding myself and saying, I don't want to love with this part of my life. I want to love with this thing that I can control. I want to love from 10 to 11, 15 a.m. on Sundays and then go back to not loving. And my friends, I say that as myself before I say that to you. Um, as a preacher, I gotta show up, right? If I don't show up on Sunday, I'm gonna get phone calls, so I might as well show up, but I gotta make sure <laughs> that I'm, I'm not just smiling on Sunday morning, that I'm not just praying on Sunday morning, that I'm not just worshiping on Sunday morning. And my friends, that is a call for all of us. And the response, we have ways of responding. And after the service, um, we're going to talk about some of the many volunteer opportunities at Berkeley um, for those who are already doing it and those interested. The, the amazing things going on from, from the work corner to plus one, from spiritual care and, and homebound visitations, from our music ministries, from the band that we'd ha- be happy for you to join. It's great. You see, the audition is just showing up. It's a great audition. Um, <laughs> We, we have these opportunities and these ways of responding, but to see, to see a pledge, to see our life as a way of responding is that God is offering us a chance to participate in something special. And that is a beautiful thing. When we see our, our children sing, to remember that. Remember the joy of that, the joy that God offers in this. That what, who we are is not based on what we have done. When you think about needs, I think the best way to think about being needy with God is thinking about a child. Think about it, the needs of a newborn baby. A newborn baby is a, like a bundle of need, a complete need. And that is where we are with God. And eventually we get to this point that we're walking on our two feet and we think we did that on our own. And then our mothers and fathers look at us and <laughs> our family, our church, 
the person who gave us that job, those things, all the ways that we have received blessings. And that doesn't even get to the blessing of God for us. Remember that you are loved. You are not what you have done. You are not your bank account. You are not your friends. You are a child of God. Because of what God has done for you, you are free. So live into that freedom. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.